Matthew chapter 8, and beginning in verse 1, we read, And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. In chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus laid out in the Sermon on the Mount how we're to ask God for what we need. He laid out how we're to treat others. He laid out how we're to live as true citizens in God's kingdom. And now in chapter 8, Jesus will heal many, including a leper in verses 1 through 4, a Roman officer's slave in verses 5 through 13, Peter's mother-in-law in verses 14 and 15. And Matthew's gospel declares Jesus to be the king. He is the king by reason of prophecy, and he is the king by reason of paternity. He is the, the king by reason of preaching, and now power. Jesus does everything by design, and all that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount will now be proved as he leaves the mountain. So far, Matthew has spoken about Jesus' identity his principles, and now his authority. And Jesus doesn't simply have principles for the kingdom. He has the power and the authority to fulfill those principles. This last weekend, I've had the privilege of at least participating in a, in a small part in, in some of the uh, activities at the uh, Western Conservative Conference and many People desiring elected office came and made all kinds of promises. You know, it's really hard to make the promise to shrink the government. It's easy to make the promise to inflate the government. All you have to do is just go to Washington, D.C. and watch the government grow right before your very eyes. Some promised bigger government and they're by Will They will fulfill their promise. Some promised smaller government. But you can go ahead and pick whatever promise you want. Domestic security, economic stability, government integrity, health care. Pick whatever promise you want. But not everyone will have the power to fulfill that promise. When Jesus makes a promise... He has the power to fulfill the promise. In Jesus, we can be sure that both his principles and power can make his will become a reality. And it would appear that at least one person, one person listening to the Sermon on the Mount has heard it and has heard the implications. And that person is a leper, a leper who abandons his colony, breaks the rules in order to get help. And he will make a beeline straight for Jesus. 
And when the ocean of humanity saw the leper coming, they must have parted like the Red Sea. There he was, putrefied, decaying flesh, bright white patches, deep sores, rags wrapped around what was left of his hands and feet. There have been miracles in Matthew's gospel. The miracle of Christ's birth. The miracle of an angelic visit. But this is the first miracle that Matthew will record. And this is the particular one that he chooses to introduce Jesus' miraculous abilities. Yes, the other gospel tells us that the first miracle recorded was in Cana. And it was at a wedding feast. When Jesus shows up expressing his belief and conviction that marriage is ordained by God. But Matthew picks this miracle to launch, proclaim, and affirm Christ's power. By the way, there's a passage in Isaiah's uh, in the book of Isaiah, where the prophet Isaiah records in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints from the sole of the feet even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. When Isaiah is using these words and he's using them to describe Israel, Israel becomes a picture of a people diseased from head to foot with no cure in sight. And our passage begins with a cry from a desperate, diseased, and disabled leper with no cure in sight. And it will end with a simple touch from Jesus and the command to tell no one about the miracle until he's fulfilled the command by Moses that's given in the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. And so in verse 1 when it says, when he had come down from the mountain, that's Jesus, great multitudes followed him and behold, a leper came and worshipped him saying, Lord, if you're willing You can make me clean. You have to understand that in the ancient society of the Jewish people, lepers were forced to live apart, to live in isolation. There were strict rules governing their interaction with the so-called clean people. Leviticus 13 taught that leprosy, like sin, begins beneath the surface of the skin. And like sin, it spreads and infects the whole body. And like sin, leprosy takes hold of its victim, spreads, and then destroys its host. The Talmud taught that leprosy was second only to death in the 61 things that rendered a Jewish person unclean. And if you had leprosy, you were as good as dead because you were cut off from your family, isolated from your friends, banished from society. 
To be healed from leprosy in many respects was like coming back from the dead. It was like being brought back to life. And so the Bible pictures leprosy as a type of sin. To be, to be cleansed of this awful disease is a picture not only of salvation but of deliverance. R.C. Trench, who was one of the most well-known Greek scholars, produced and edited the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary. And he wrote, quote, Though the leper was not worse or guiltier than his fellow countrymen, he was nevertheless a parable of sin, an outward visible sign of an inward spiritual corruption, unquote. The leper was required by law to identify himself or herself. He or she would have to cry, unclean unclean and failure to identify yourself could result in death by stoning. Leprosy today is better known as Hansen's disease after the man who first diagnosed the cure in the modern era. Hansen's disease is caused by the deadening of the nerve cells in the extremities. Dr. Paul Brand and others have discovered that the disease kills the body's central warning system. Each and every one of us, by God's grace, has been given a central nervous system. This deadens that system. You know, I really liked Ronald Reagan, but there was one thing about him that I didn't like. Do you remember when he got shot? He was waving. He got shot. And he didn't know he was shot. I want a president who has a central nervous system, (laughs) who knows when something's gone wrong. The disease acts like an anesthetic. It first brings pain and then it brings numbness. A person may, may put their hand in a burning fire. Imagine if you fall off of a curb and you twist your ankle and you don't realize that flesh or tissue or tendons have been torn. Imagine washing your face with scalding water. In the third world, parasites and vermins like rats could bite and chew on lepers. Dr. Brand called the disease the painless hell. And so it is with sin. It's like a painless hell that numbs you to its wickedness. John Corson adds, quote, lepers in Jesus' day would begin to take on a very gross appearance as their skin became hard and scaly and as their fingers and toes disappeared, their face would become lion-like, swollen with huge folds. Inevitably, in the middle stages of the disease, one's nose would totally disappear. There would also be a strong odor emanating from the body of one who had leprosy. We're told that a leper could be smelled from a hundred feet away, unquote. 
Another Bible writer says, quote, leprosy begins with pain, numbness follows. Soon the skin loses its original color. It gets to be thick and glossy and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. Fingers disappear or absorbed. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. The disease produces Producing agent also attacks the larynx. The leper's voice acquires a kind of a grating quality. Your throat becomes hoarse. You can not only see and feel and smell the leper. You can hear his or her rasping voice. And if you stay with him for some time, you can even imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth. Probably due to the odor, unquote. And so you can imagine that the Jewish leaders came to believe that leprosy was a judgment from God. Much like some people today believe that AIDS is a direct judgment from God. But the word leprosy in the Hebrew language, tsare, came to mean any kind of a skin disease. But it may have meant in its origin someone who was smitten or someone who was afflicted. Religious leaders were so convinced that lepers were under the judgment of God, they could write things like, quote, I would not so much as buy an egg from a market that was on the street that a leper walked down, unquote. Another rabbi said, when I see lepers coming, I will throw stones at them until they turn and run in the opposite direction, unquote. The religious leaders were cruel and harsh because they believed that these people were under the curse of God and the judgment of God. So how then are we as Christians to treat people who for whatever reason find themselves isolated, outcast, abused, the AIDS victim? The person who's suffering from diseases related to alcohol, drug abuse, even sexual sin. It's easy for some to say that they're simply suffering the consequences of a life lived in rebellion and disobedience. But then in moments of absolute honesty and clarity, we begin to understand our own problem, our own sin. It's wickedness, the difficulty that it's caused in our life. Our text reads, a leper came and worshipped him. The word in the Greek language is proskuneo. The word kaneo means to kiss. And pros is the idea of putting yourself before a particular person. The word can mean to honor. It can mean to prostrate. It can mean to reverence. It can mean to give worship, just depending on the context. And some Greek scholars note that the word was used to describe the act of prostrating oneself and kissing their feet. Persians, by the way, did this in the presence of their deified king. And the Greeks would do this whenever they thought of a particular person as having the characteristics of divinity. 
The leper didn't doubt Jesus' ability to make him clean. What the leper doubted was his willingness to make him clean. I think this becomes, again, a type and a picture of so much that takes place in our, old, our own life. How about you? Do, you? do you actually theologically are willing to concede that Jesus can do whatever Jesus wants to do, but do you doubt his willingness? Do you doubt his ability to touch you? To speak to you? Have you ever prayed, Lord, if you're willing... You can heal my body. You can heal my marriage. You can heal my mind. Lord, you could save my child. Lord, would you? Lord, could you rescue me from these horrible circumstances? Lord, if you're willing, you could deliver me from this enslaving addiction. Lord, if you want to, you could break the power of this habit. What is your personal leprosy? What is it that you find so difficult to talk about and reprehensible to even speak about? That you're afraid to even say it out loud. We know he can help us. But sometimes we doubt that he will. And so we ask a different question, don't we? Jesus, would you be willing to touch me? I'm so disgusting. Can you imagine this leper having the same conversation inside of his heart? By the way, one leper showed up. You know, it's interesting, even about the story, most of the people, dare I say, almost all of the people chose to stay away that day, but one shows up. Most thought that their horrible, disfiguring body, their running, putrefying sores, the unbearable odor would have to, by its very definition, gross out the Savior. And so they elect not to come to the Savior. They dare ask themselves the question, would Jesus be so grossed out by my sin that he would even dare touch me? Over the year, thousands of people have come to our church, hundreds to my office, to describe deep, dangerous disobedience to God. And they wonder if I'm going to be shocked. They wonder if they're, they're going to look at my face and he's going to go, oh no. He's going to be so shocked and so disgusted and so embarrassed. And I got to admit, I thought I'd heard it all. I thought that I'd seen it all. I thought that I had imagined every wicked thing 
that you can imagine. But there are times when something happens and something's said and it takes every ounce of courage to not be overwhelmed and to hold in your heart a place of hope and real change. And so if you ask the question, is Jesus embarrassed by my sin? I can only say the answer is no. Because if he's willing to touch this leper, he's certainly willing to touch you. And he's certainly willing to touch me. You you see, people usually wind up making one of two really big mistakes. They think, if I can just get treatment, if I can just get my act together, then I can go to church. Then I can read my Bible. Then I can do the Christian thing. Then I can accept Jesus. Then I can do all of the stuff that I think that God wants me to do or that the Bible requires. And as soon as I get my life right, then I'll allow Jesus to come near me as soon as I can get this leprosy under control as soon as I can find a clean space where Jesus can touch me but the truth is the truth is the truth is you will never get it together enough to let Jesus touch you Jesus is willing to touch you not based on how gross you are, but on how wonderful he is. The second mistake is to think, I've gone too far. The disease is too advanced. The damage is too severe. The disintegration is too far gone. I can't even imagine a world where Jesus would be willing to touch me. But look what it says in verse 3. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. Saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Note what Matthew writes. Jesus first extends his hand and touches the leper and then speaks to him. I'm going to bring out a little theological point at this point. Did Jesus need to touch the leper in order to heal the leper? He didn't have to. Do you know what that means to me? He didn't have to. He wanted to. He wanted to. What if I even suggest to you that he was determined to do exactly that what if I said not only that he wanted to do it that he was determined to do it what if I even suggested to you that he was delighted to do it in Mark's gospel in the parallel account of this incident in Mark chapter 1 verse 41 we read then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him I am willing, be cleansed. 
Matthew, Mark's gospel says he's filled with compassion. I want you to understand in part what that word means. It's not just mind to mind and it's not just body to body. It's gut to gut. It's visceral. It's emotional. Have you ever witnessed another person's suffering? And then all of a sudden, it became your suffering. When I was on the radio yesterday with Craig Silverman, Craig was talking about his reaction as a, as a Jewish person to the shootings in Charleston. And he said something remarkable. He said, as I listened to what was happening, as I, as I started to evaluate the evidence that was being said and the testimony that was, was being given, he said, for just a, a split second, I wasn't a Jew anymore. I was black. This was me. This was my family. Arthur H. Steinbeck wrote, quote, the value of compassion cannot be overemphasized. Anyone can criticize. It takes a true believer to be compassionate. No greater burden can be borne by an individual than to know no one cares, no one understands. And the moment that you just simply invite the possibility, I'm going to try to understand what's happening. I'm going to try to care about what's happening. Shouldn't we tell the truth? Of course we should. But honesty without compassion is brutality. And the reaction of Jesus goes beyond pity. Hey, you know, I feel really bad for you. Sympathy. You know what? People shouldn't hurt like you hurt. Or even empathy. This is not just, like I said, mind for mind or, or heart for heart, but gut for gut. It's the kind of feeling that a mother or a father will sometimes experience when they see their child suffering some unimaginable sickness and they wish it were theirs instead of their child. Some of you are parents, you've experienced that. You've watched your child experience the most unbelievable difficulty or pain and you cry out to God and you wish to God it wasn't happening to them. You wish just for a moment that you could bear that burden on their behalf. Does it shock you or surprise you that that's exactly how Jesus feels about you? He doesn't simply understand your broken condition. He doesn't even theologically acknowledge simply the problem of your sin. He cares about it. He cares about you. You have a Savior who's borne your iniquity and carried your disease. You have a Savior who's experienced his flesh being cut and his hands and his feet being lacerated by heavy iron nails. You have a Savior who's experienced real tears. You have a Savior who has compassion even for the misguided consequences of the sad and sinful choices that you've made in your life. Jesus knows about the devastation that sin brings. And Jesus will bear the full brunt of our sin on Calvary's cross. 
the willingness of Jesus is not restricted to the simple well wishes for people in trouble. Jesus doesn't just simply mentally acknowledge the problem. He's going to do something about it. Because his ministry isn't going to end here in Matthew chapter 8. He's going to die. But something else remarkable is going to happen. He's going to come back to life. Jesus will cleanse the man. Jesus, by the way, never refuses a single person who comes to him for healing and restoration in the New Testament. Did you know that? Did you know that no one, no one, no one ever came to Jesus and said, please, please, Jesus, will you help me? Will you help me? Could you possibly help me? And he said, no way, Jose. I'm not helping you. Jesus never, ever, is is it recorded in the Bible, you're too far gone. You can't be reached. Some people will say, well, what about Judas? Even Judas, who would betray Jesus, receives chance after chance, outreach after outreach, invitation after invitation. Jesus never said, I don't have time for you. Someone will say, well, what about the time when Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon? He met a woman of Canaan who cried to the Lord, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter, my daughter, she's severely demon-possessed in Matthew 15, 32, or 15, 22. And Jesus ignores her, and she cries, and Jesus ignores her, and she cries, and Jesus ignores her. And even the disciples say, make her go away. And Jesus says, it's not good to give to the dogs the food that belongs to the children. And the woman replied, that's true, Lord. That's true. But even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And do you remember what happened? Jesus said, oh, woman. Great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And the Bible says, and the daughter was healed from that very hour. And you might be thinking, well, why would Jesus help the leper? And even help that lady? And why won't he help me? Why, won't, why would he refuse me? And the Bible makes it abundantly clear. He's never, ever refused a single person who's come to him with a broken heart in humility and says, would you please wash me? Would you please cleanse me? Would you please forgive me? Would you give me a right relationship with God? Not a single instance of anyone ever being turned down. James would write later, you have not because you ask not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it on your own lust, it says in James chapter 4 verse 3. The Greeks had a saying that when the gods really wanted to punish someone, they would answer their prayers. I was listening to candidate after candidate last night saying, please pray for me. And what exactly do you want me to pray? That I'll be elected president of the United States. And I go, why would you want that? 
Why would you subject your family to that? Why would you subject yourself to that? Sometimes we pray. And it's more than just a little selfish. And sometimes it's more than just a little wrong. We may not be able to see the consequences of all of our choices. Don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you could say, hey, Lord, if I make this decision, what will happen? And the Lord reveals it to you. Well, that's going to happen. And what else? That. And what else? That. And what else? That. And you go, tap, tap, go back. I don't want that. That's not what I want. Sometimes God even loves us enough to say, I know you think you want that, but that's not really a good idea for you. Jesus will touch the man, filled with sores, disfigured and swollen. He touches him, not simply because he can, but because he must. Kent Hughes writes, Since this man was full of leprosy, we can reasonably assume that he had not been touched by a soft, healthy hand in many years, unquote. Can you imagine? You have a wife, free of the disease, but there's no touch. There's no embrace. There's no kiss goodnight. Imagine you live in a world where no one ever touches you Ever, I read the story of a lonely man who had no family and no friends and he wasn't a Christian and he didn't belong to any church. In describing his loneliness, he said that he had his hair cut once a week just to have someone touch him with no misunderstanding. One Bible teacher suggests that Jesus doesn't simply touch the man, but he takes him firmly. In his grip, the kind of grip that speaks of assurance, the kind of firm grip you need when your whole body is dangling over a cliff. I know what that's like. I've fallen off of a cliff. I've hung for dear life. I had a person in South America when we were hunting crocodiles at midnight. Don't ask me why we were doing that and whether or not it was a good idea. But I'm hanging there and this person is spread out and he's got a firm grasp on me. And he says to me, do not worry. I will not let you fall. Can you imagine how comforting that is? Especially when you've done something stupid. It's hard to imagine the joy in the leper's heart at that moment. But it's fairly easy to imagine the horror on the onlooker's eyes. Can you imagine the lepers being grasped? But can you imagine everybody else? Everybody's looking terrified. They're terrified as they imagine that Jesus is now exposed, possibly infected with the disease, touching a leper, forbidden, gripping a leper, invitation to judgment. The disease being the worst punishment of all, even if the disciples must have cringed in horror. So what, why does Jesus do this? Why would he do this? Because he loves him. And because he cares for him. 
And you might think, well, that's sufficient. And it would be sufficient. But I think there's something else. It isn't just, I love this man and I care for this man. I think it's something else. I think it's something more. It's the entire story of the New Testament. It's the story of God becoming a man. It's the story of the self-existent supreme being visiting this planet, being born of a virgin, subjected to all of the difficulties that means living in this world to touch him. And it's okay for you to connect the dots, to touch you, to reach out to you, to embrace you. Jesus was a real man. He becomes a real man so that he can take on sin, become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. And so you can never really affect other people's lives unless you are willing to touch them. In chapter 8, Jesus will heal, heal another leper, a Gentile servant, and then, and then a woman. Jesus will first touch those who are the least and the last by every worldly standard that you, you can imagine. The Jewish leaders are shocked. Why would Jesus do that? Why does he reach out to the outcast, the reject? And then all of a sudden, in a modern era, we see people like at Samaritan's Purse who will go to AIDS-ravaged Africa or Ebola-ravaged Africa and touch them. And people will say, are you nuts? Are you stupid? Are you insane? Who in their right mind is going to reach out and touch a person with Ebola? And I'm going to suggest to you that it's okay to wear gloves and to try and be safe. But sometimes in spite of all of the safety precautions that are taken, people risk their lives to love people and to care about them. Are you willing to offer them compassion and hope instead of judgment and death. And you realize that sometimes involvement and touch will speak way more than to however many Bible verses you're able to memorize. Bible verses are important. I love Bible verses. Good theology is important. I love good theology. Compassion and touch are risky. Difficult, demanding. But look at the end of the verse. Immediately the leprosy is cleansed. Isn't that amazing? 
Luke's gospel says he was covered with leprosy in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Kent Hughes writes, quote, the healing was sudden and complete. His feet, toeless, ulcerated stubs, suddenly whole, bursting his shrunken sandals. The knobs on his feet grow fingers before the very eyes. Back come his hair, eyebrows and eyelashes. Under his hair were ears before him, a nose, his skin supple and soft. Can you hear the thundering roar of the multitude? Can you hear the man crying instead of unclean, unclean? He cries, I'm clean. I know I want to do the commercial. You're not really clean till you're zestfully clean. Who says advertising doesn't work? It's okay for you to announce the fact that Jesus has cleansed you. W.H. Griffith Thomas writes, when we bring our doubts into the presence of Christ, they disappear, leaving us waiting for his word of assurance and feeling certain it will be given. And only then are we healed of our grievous wound, unquote. Think about that again. When we bring our doubts into the presence of Christ, They disappear. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus will do this. And then you bring it to him. And then the doubt disappears. Jesus, thy touch is still the same, for thou unchanging art. This prayer I offer in thy name. Dear Savior, touch my heart. And so in verse 4, look what it says. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one. But go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Wait a minute. What about the people who are already there? Is there a huge multitude? He's just come down the mountain. He's just healed them. Do you think that this healing has gone unnoticed? I don't think so. I think people know. So is he using some sort of reverse Jesus psychology saying, tell that you see that you tell no one in order for him to tweet it out to everyone, to post it on his Facebook, to make sure everybody knows. I don't think that that's what's happening either. The key is found in Christ's statement. Go your way, show yourself to the priest, offer the gift that Moses commanded. By the way, that phrase, show yourself to the priest, offer the gift Moses commanded, is found in Leviticus chapter 14. I don't have a whole lot of time, but let me just give you quick. It contained the prescription for cleansing. If you have a chance, when you get home, read Leviticus chapter 14. It contains this. Two birds are taken. One is killed over running water. The live bird is dipped with cedar wood, a scarlet string and some hyssop from the blood of the slain bird. The former leper is then sprinkled seven times and pronounced healed by the priest. And the live bird is set free. The ceremony had been on the books for 1,500 years. A whole chapter in 13 and 14 is dedicated to this issue. How many people do you think ever took advantage of it? Zero. You mean a whole chapter in the Bible was written just in order 
For when this event was about to take place, in Leviticus 14, the ceremony was designed so that the leper could return to society. The priest goes to the leper in verse 3. The priest offers the sacrifice in verses 4 through 7. The leper washes washes and waits in verses 8 through 9. The leper offers the sacrifice in verses 10 through 13 of Leviticus. The priest applies the blood and the oil. And in the ceremony, the priest would take the blood, apply it to the right ear, the right thumb, and the great toe of, of, of your right foot, symbolizing that the whole body has been purchased by God. And then the priest would put on the oil so that, and he would put the oil over the blood, symbolizing the empowering of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the will of God. And then the rest of the oil was dumped on top of his head, signifying that the spirit was now going to give him the ability to live the life that he could never live before. And then the Lord Jesus says, present yourself as a testimony. It isn't just simply a man being healed of an affliction. It's about a person being able to return to God and the worship of the worship community. And you see, your getting saved isn't just simply about you being forgiven. It isn't just simply about you going to heaven. If that were it, if that were the only thing that happened... We should still meet. But there's something way more. The opportunity to live a different kind of a life. If Jesus is willing to touch you, he has to be willing to change you. And the leper was willing to be changed. He was willing to be healed. The Lord Jesus defied the law and the practice of not touching lepers, or did he? Scholars say, hey, look, you can't touch lepers. It's forbidden by the law. Well, one of two things is true. Jesus either broke the law or the moment, the moment, the moment that he stretches out his hand, he is healed. He's healed even before that firm grasp grasps him. And that's the testimony of the Bible for people who turn from their sin. Lord, would you heal me? Would you wash me? Would you cleanse me? Doubts disappear in the presence of Jesus. I read, Touch me, O Lord, with healing power, for I am sick with sin. Grant me, O Christ, the heavenly power, To heal the plague within. Touch me, O Lord, for thou art pure. Uncleanness flies from thee. Thy precious blood, a fountain sure, from leprous taint shall free. Touch me, O Lord, with thoughts of thine. Thy mind to me be given. My spirit fill with light divine. And guide my feet to heaven it's the kind of touch that changes you now where you stay changed tomorrow the kind of change that will last your entire life and in the end see you to heaven
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this time. Lord, thanks for this amazing picture of your love that you don't just simply think about us, that you don't just simply know about us, that we have every reason to believe that you care about us, no matter how profoundly disturbing our circumstances may be, that you're willing to touch us and cleanse us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.